And it's time for another edition of Wednesdays with Walton. Brian Walton from thecardinalnation.com. And you can find all the great material at thecardinalnation.com. Wednesdays with Walton. Martin Kilquin with you here on the Scoops Network. And Brian, it's winter warm-up weekend. And this is an exciting time for the fans to start thinking about the season. I'm sort of curious, too, with the caravans and the warm-up itself, uh, the prospects or the young players that get invited, I guess if you're one of them, it's sort of telling, right, that the organization thinks that you're you're knocking on the door? Absolutely. And it's a it's a great opportunity also for the fans because not everybody can travel to St. Louis. A lot of years, the weather is kind of dicey. Fortunately, this year, it looks like it's going to be okay. But uh, they, in addition to per, uh, participating in winter warm-up in St. Louis, where they sign autographs for fans, they also go out on the road in these caravans. And uh, those folks who are outside of St. Louis and Missouri and Illinois and and uh, the surrounding areas under you know know this, and they can go and uh, spend a day and meet these prospects. A couple of, of Cardinals veterans come, and then of course someone uh, like yourself or a Tom Ackerman or whatever are the MC for the event. And it's a it's a really nice thing in the in the cold of winter to get people thinking about baseball again because hey, we're only a month away from spring training. Well, I bet, and we talked about it a little bit last week, but I bet there'll be some Jordan Walker interest, not just media, but I. I think at this point, the fans are pretty in tune with his, I guess, the hype. Yeah, if you look at our top 10 in the CardinalNation.com, our top 10 prospects for the year, we're at number three right now, but there's not much uh, there's not much uh, suspense left given that Mason Wynn and Jordan Walker haven't been unveiled yet. But the, the top prospects, Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, uh, pitchers Gordon Graceffo and Tank Hentz, Michael McGreevy, uh, Connor Thomas. So there's a there's a you know veritable who's who of Cardinals prospects. It'll be there signing autographs. And as you can imagine, the Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, you know, Graceffo sold out very, very quickly. But there's also, uh, and these players go on the caravan as well, the the sort of one-year guys, the emerging players, the Alec Burlsons and uh, Zach Thompsons, Jake Woodford, Yvonne Herrera, those guys will be there as well. So, you know, pretty much everybody who's a who's who among the these emerging players in the Cardinal system will be uh, on the caravans and at winter warm-up. Wednesdays with Walton presented by Triad Bank and Lou Fuse Automotive Network. When we get to spring training, Brian, how, how does it work with the younger players? You know, we've, we've talked a lot about how Jordan Walker is going to get a look with the big club. Do they typically bring in these younger guys with, with the main core and the veterans and then eventually sprinkle them off? And then there are some guys who are just, it's obvious they're not quite ready that'll start with their own camp. But do they typically have a handful of the young guys just working with the big group? Yes, that's right, Martin. And and sort of the way it works, first of all, is if you're on the 40-man roster, which right now is full, 40 players on the roster, all those players are automatically invited to big league camp. And then they have what are called non-roster invitees, which are players that aren't yet on the 40-man roster, uh, to sort of fill out camp. And typically there's, and they haven't announced the names yet this year, but typically there's about 60 to 65 players invited to big league camp. And then as camp goes, you know, from, starting in February through the month of March as they play games, they gradually pare that down to the 26th that they have on opening day. But sort of in parallel, off of starting a couple weeks later is minor league camp. And those players are pretty much everybody else in the minor league system who's on U.S. soil, and they're competing for jobs for one of the four full-season minor league teams, and that being AAA Memphis, AA Springfield, High A Peoria, Low A Palm Beach. So there's hundred and 20, 150 players in minor league camp. And one of the benefits for those minor league players is now and then when the big league camp is traveling on the road, let's say, and maybe the Goldschmidt's and Arenados don't travel on that trip, you know, they, they'll take some young players from the minor league camp and say, hey, you're with the big league camp for a day. You're with the big leaguers. 
And that's a great opportunity for them, whether they get in games or not. So there's a lot of players kind of moving back and forth between big league camp and minor league camp. Uh, but it's a great honor for any player uh, to be invited to St. Louis spring training camp. Who are some of the names? I know last week we sort of ran through the, the guys who were almost ready, who were about to knock on the door. But are there a couple of stars that are maybe two, three years away that are kind of getting a lot of buzz at the lower minor league level that maybe will be household names, but not yet? Well, I think Tank Hans is the name to talk about. And if you go to the Cardinal Nation today, in fact, Tank Hans is our number three prospect in the system. We've got the 3,200 words about Tank Hans. So everything you want to know about what, what Tank Hans throws, you know, what he needs to work on. But this is a young man who's very slight a build, uh, 6'2", 180, 6'1", was drafted in the same class as Walker and Wynn, but the Cardinals have moved very, very slowly with Tink Hens. He's only thrown uh, 60-some innings as a professional in three years, but uh, he dominated at low A Palm Beach, went to the Arizona Fall League, which is very unusual for a 20-year-old who has never pitched in high A or above. So Tink Hens still has three levels to go before he reaches the majors, but this young man uh, can throw 100 miles an hour, has great secondary pitches, uh, great movement on his pitches is a guy that scouts really were excited about in the fall league. And I'm sure he would be a, pl a player that other teams would ask about in potential trades with the Cardinals. And I'm talking about Tink Hans. And I guess as an off season sort of winds towards the regular season or spring training, the bit of business that's always hanging out there arbitration. I think there was a stretch where the Cardinals had always avoided it. There was a long streak they had. What, what do we have coming up here? What are some of the names and, are there any that seem like they may be more contentious than the others? Yeah, this is an interesting point, Martin. You know, as you said, in the past, the Cardinals have tried to avoid arbitration. And, and this process, just to step back a little bit, for players with between three years and six years of major league service, because at six years, they be, they're they eligible for free agency for the first time. But their pay sort of ramps up from three to six years. And there's a process by which they look at players of comparable experience in terms of years and of stats and say, okay, you know, this guy should make about $2 million. And the player comes up with a number that he thinks he's worth and the team comes up with a number. And if they can't come to agreement, then they go to a hearing. And one of the, the downsides of the Cardinals strategy, which of course is primarily to develop from within, when these players start to get more experience, then they start to be able to make more money. And so the list of players this year is nine players. There were 10 players, but uh, reliever, um, Chris Stratton came to terms already with the Cardinals, but uh, Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, Jordan Hicks, Dakota Hudson, Tyler O'Neill, Tommy Edmond, Ryan Helsley, Andrew Kisner, Hennessy Cabrera, all those guys are arbitration eligible. And so if, if the um, just in uh, two days this Friday, those two sides either have to come to agreement or those two sides, the sides being the player and the team come to their number. And then if they can't, if they can't come to agreement, then they go to a hearing and one of those two numbers is picked. So for example, if Hennessy Cabrera thinks he's worth 2 million and the Cardinals think he's worth 3 million, an arbiter will look at the case and decide one or the other. They won't split the difference. They won't. And so the whole process is designed for the two sides to come to agreement before they ever get to a hearing. But now and then it does happen. I think Flaherty went to a hearing uh, not too long ago and there, you know, there could be others this year. Yeah. And if I were a gambling man, I would say that Flaherty will be the one <laughs> they may go they tend to seem to be at odds when it comes to talking about, well, a lot of different topics, but especially money. So Friday, that's the deadline. So if they're not any of these players, that's a long list of notable names, uh, players who've been around for a while now, too. So if on Friday those aren't done, then it, that's the deadline, and then they go to arbitration? 
Well, Friday is the deadline by which they have to submit a salary figure. Okay. Okay. So that's when they that's when they have to get up, put away the pencils, and put a pen down. And so they can still come to terms until the morning of them going to a hearing, but that's their numbers. And so um, the motivation again is once they're all the talking is done and, and the two numbers are on the table, they're encouraged to come to an agreement between them and not go to the hearing, but the hearing and the hearings are scheduled during spring training, which again is kind of another distraction, right? I mean, you're Jack Flaherty, you're trying to get ready for the season. Now you got to go to this meeting and argue with the Cardinals about why you think they're better than they think you are. And it's just, you know, again, the whole intention is hopefully for those players to come to terms, get a contract they feel good about. But uh, the other thing to be aware of is that Montgomery, Flaherty, and Jordan Hicks are all in their final year of arbitration eligibility. But what that also means is a year from now, they'll be free. Well, in the fall, they'll be free agents and uh, eligible to sign elsewhere. So the pitching staff for the Cardinals in 2024 is going to look very, very different than 2023, I think. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable how a year from now how wide open it could be because they typically have a couple of pieces you know in place long term. I wonder if Mikeless is somebody that they'll try and put a couple more years onto it. It seems to fit what they've done in the past, and maybe he's a guy who's been become durable. Do you see that as a possibility this year where they extend him? Absolutely, I think he's a he's an excellent candidate to be extended, and you know he's at the point where you know he sees what his career was before he went overseas and what it's like now that he's come back to the Cardinals. And I don't think he's a guy that's going to chase the money. He lives in the Jupiter area, really likes working with the Cardinals. So he's a guy that I could see extended. Of course, Adam Wainwright, you know, eventually Father Time's going to catch up or or one of the networks is going to offer him enough money to be a broadcaster. He decides to finally hang up his cleats. And then we mentioned uh, as well, uh, Jack Flaherty's going to be a free agent. So, you know, that rotation uh, next year, you know, you, you've got to hope these young players, uh, Graceffo and McGreevy probably aren't ready. But you'd like to see Libertor take the next step and for some of these young player Cardinals players to be able to step into the rotation and help fill that gap. Wednesdays with Walton. Brian Walton, thecardinalnation.com is where you can read his reports. It's brought to you by Triad Bank and Lou Fuse Automotive Network right here on the Scoops Network. Brian's sort of off topic, but I'm, I'm intrigued at the Cardinals hitting approach moving forward because Jeff Albert was such a lightning rod, but he was the focus and even when he left the organization, you know, John Mozeliak said we had an offer on the table. They wanted him to stay, uh, even if maybe some didn't, but the, the, from the top down, they wanted him to be here. And now you add Matt Holiday into the mix, a former player. He's close with Ali Marmol. He's buddies with Arenado. I'm sort of intrigued at how the hitting approach will differ, if at all. I mean, I, I don't know if the fans always – we get mad at the hitting coach when the team doesn't hit. I don't know how much of it is palpable watching at home, but I, I think after so much focus on Jeff Albert, I, I'm sort of intrigued at this Turner Ward Matt Holiday mix. Yeah, it's interesting. A, a lot of folks probably thought that Matt Holiday was going to be named the hitting coach rather than the bench coach. Uh, but what you find at the major league level, or even in the minor league level, there are coaches that sort of resonate with players. And having multiple coaches, uh, the Cardinals have. Of course, as you said, Holiday is a bench coach. Turner Ward is a hitting coach. They also have an assistant hitting coach. So a guy will get with one of them that he works with and feels comfortable with, and they kind of tend to be his primary coach. But, you know, part of what where there, some of the rub with Jeff Albert was was that both on the pitching and the hitting side, the Cardinals are becoming more and more analytics-driven. So there's discussions of exit velocities and launch angles and other factors that weren't a part of hitting in the past. And so, you, the, you know, you have to find the right mix, not only from technique, but also in how to implement these metrics. And so, 
you know, some new voices were probably a good idea. Jeff Albert had become a lightning rod for criticism and, uh, you know, right or wrong. Uh, he decided that the best thing for him to do was to move on in his career. And so he moved off to the Mets and now the Cardinals have some new blood. Yeah. And you're right. Matt Holiday is the bench coach. I guess I'm assigning him other duties. I kind of, I just picture him around the cage and working with hitters, even though you're right, his main job is bench coach, but I, I just, I could see him, especially with maybe the older guys, just kind of working with them. And absolutely. And he's had some, you know, sort of like Mark McGuire before him, you know, he was kind of informally working with guys in the off season, even before this formal assignment as, as coach, you know, came to be. And, you know, everybody who knows Matt Holiday's history knows that he's the son of a, one of the most successful college coaches of all time. His brother's a coach and you know, he's worked in, in collegiate coaching as well. So, you know, it's not as if Matt Holiday is coming into this job with no experience uh, in coaching at all. So, you know, I think he's been a, he's a great addition to the staff and, uh, you know, we'll see if maybe the, the new assignments can help the offense, which at times was excellent and other times was inconsistent. And, you know, another warm-up thought for fans, uh, the fact that it's going to be held at Bush Stadium in Ballpark Village, I'm sort of intrigued just at the layout, how they pull that off. And I think for fans, it's – and maybe it's a little chilly walking around the stadium, but I think that's more fun. Don't you think if you're kind of getting in the mindset of a baseball season, what better place to be than the stadium as opposed to a hotel? Well, and I think they're throwing in – if I remember correctly, they're throwing in uh, ballpark tours – uh, the opportunity to go through the museum. So there's, you know, there's other benefits in, you know, in the fans being there other than just seeing the players and getting their autographs and hearing uh, Moselock and DeWitt and the others, you know, talk about the upcoming year. So I'm also very interested in to see how the format uh, lays out. I'm sure we're going to burn some shoe leather up running around, but it's always a great fun three days. Yeah. Wear your Fitbit or your Apple watch and get your steps in. Okay. Here's one, Brian, non-Cardinal related. This is fascinating with Carlos Correa, a guy who, I mean, I think we were a little surprised when the Giants threw that kind of money around, $350 million. They call a press conference, and that same day they decide, wait a minute, we're concerned about his physical. The Mets owner who just doesn't care about money and spending and Steve Cohen's like, we don't care, we'll take him. And then they sort of back away. I guess they lowered their offer. And now Carlos Correa, who was leaving the Twins, Goes back to the twins, not going to be holding a bake sale. It's still 200 million, but that's 150 million less than he started with. I don't know if I can remember any free agent where it had this sort of strange decline in terms of, you know, final dollars and just the oddities to it. I, I don't, does anything come to mind? Well, I'll tell you, I mean, there have been examples in the past where a player, you know, things turn up in the physical and just for background for folks, you know, they come to agreement on these contracts and they're always pending a physical examination when they finally, you know, get, agree to money and years. And there have been guys who have maybe had some issues the first time, but I don't think it's ever happened where a player, especially of this magnitude, has had two different contracts go bad. And the, the only good thing in, in this case for Carlos Correa is he got started early enough in the offseason they can kind of get through all this malarkey now and he can report to the twins uh, in the spring. And, you know, granted, yeah, he, he left some money on the table because of this knee injury that occurred apparently back when he was in the minor leagues, but I think he can still get by on his hundred million or hundred and whatever it is going to be. He'll, you know, I think he'll, the Korea family will be all right. Yeah. I think there, there'll be no pity parties. That's for sure. It's and I guess if you're a Cardinal fan and you're, you're really peeling it back and like, well, at least if he is great this year, at least he's not in the national league. He would have been on the giants. He would have been on the Mets. It's at least one less star player uh, in the National League. Brian, looking forward to this weekend. We will see you at Bush Stadium and Ballpark Village. You got it, Martin. Talk to you next week.
All right, that's Brian Walton from thecardinalnation.com. Wednesdays with Walton right here on the Scoops Network. Of course, brought to you by Triad Bank and the Lou Fuse Automotive Network.